Good morning, pet appreciators, and welcome to the Pet Connection Show here on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Can you believe it? It's finally warming up. I'm so grateful. I was just talking to my son on the phone. He's over in um, La Crosse, Wisconsin, um, and he and his wife, Sadie, and their little baby girl, she's about three months. I think she's three. She's not quite three months, but she'll be three months in about five days. So, um, but they they just said, hey, you know what? We're going to go hiking in the bluffs today. It's not like it's nice, but it's decent enough to to uh, walk on the the paths in the in the bluffs there down in La Crosse, Wisconsin. And they're going to take their pup with them and their little the little daughter and uh, go hiking today. And I thought, you know what? That's a sign of spring, almost. You know, when you're, you can, uh, get out there and, uh, with a, a young child and a dog and, and go hiking for an hour or so. So, uh, it's gonna, it's gonna happen, pet appreciators. We're gonna, we're gonna see spring. We're gonna get through this ice and this slushy mess that we've been in and, um, or that we're going to be in and, and out of this cold and out of this tundra. We'll make it, and our pups will be so happy. <laughs> but anyways, it's good to spend Sunday morning here with you. Kathy Menard, your host, Dr. Nicole Peralt, is off today enjoying um, some family time with family and friends um, up uh, north as well. So, But anyways, today we, um, we're we going to have a, a, a guest call in. Um, he's been a guest on the show um, many times over the years of the Pet Connection show, um, Jason Rice. And you may remember him. He calls from the Duluth area, although I think he's even farther up north now um, this morning. But Jason has, um, if you remember Pet Appreciators, very involved in the John Barry Grease Sled Dog Marathon, um, um, mostly as a board member, uh, once a long time ago um, as a musher in the half marathon. But then if you remember correctly, when he called in this year, a couple months ago, he um decided to participate in the full marathon as a musher for the first time in the in the full marathon. And I think he called in on a day that he was driving up to um, where the dogs are and uh, was going to practice that day. But anyways, I would love to hear from him again. And, and he's, he's actually on, on hold right now with us. But I want to know what it's like, not just from the organizational standpoint, not just from the historical standpoint of the John Bear Grease Sled Dog Marathon, not just from the logistical point, but the point of the point of view of being on the back of the sled for hours on end with your team of, of of dogs and what's that like to be a musher? And um, at this point, then I, w- I want to bring in Jason on the line here. Good morning, Jason. I know you're calling from. Did you say Giants Ridge up north? Yes, yes. Good morning, Kathy. I'm uh, I am at Giants Ridge, and I'm very happy to report that it looks like my my cell signal is good. So hopefully, we won't have any difficulty. Oh yay! Well, I'm just so grateful that you could call in. I um I know I mentioned too. It was you know the week after the the race. That you know you had done the race again, but this time the full marathon, not the not the half, and that you came in third place. Now, how did that happen? I mean, that's fantastic, great for the dogs, great, great for you. But were you expecting to do that well in such sub-zero temperatures? <laughs> that's a I, the honest answer is that's a that's kind of a loaded question. So I had high expectations on the one hand because I knew that. The dogs, uh, I was running dogs, just to bring everybody up to speed, if they don't remember, um, uh, I don't expect them to. I was running dogs from the Reddington Kennel, Ryan Reddington. So uh, a number of my dogs actually have done the Iditarod before with Ryan. Uh, a number of the dogs also were on his uh, 2018 uh, Bear Grease Championship team. So I had dogs that were very, very, very race experienced and um in training, Ryan had uh, had put the majority of the miles on those dogs, uh, about 2,100 miles between Ryan and uh, and his handlers, uh, Sarah Kiefer in particular, who uh, lives down there in the Twin Cities. She came up a lot and put training miles on those dogs. So I, I've got to thank uh, Sarah as well. She did uh, a phenomenal job, 2,100 miles training miles on those dogs prior to the race. And I knew that that would be as much or probably somewhat significantly more than other people had on their dogs going into the race. So expectation-wise, it meant that I knew that I had, let's, let's talk in terms a lot of people can understand, I had a really reliable, uh, well-tested vehicle 
And um, so I, I knew that as long as I didn't do something egregious to mess it up, that the dogs were capable of getting me there and probably in a pretty good placement. I was not doing the race looking to win the race. That was not my objective. I, the possibility of second or third did enter my mind. Um, I honestly thought, and it, it even looked truly like Ryan uh, might repeat as the winner. Going into the race, my money certainly would have been on Ryan repeating as the champion. And the the beauty there is that I, I figured his team is always going to be out slightly ahead of my team. My dogs are going to want to follow Dad, and so we're going to probably do pretty well. That much I suspected. Uh, but there's no guarantee once you hit the trail that things go your way. And all kinds of things can happen. Look what happened with Ryan. Um, he's He had an hour and 45-minute lead, and in that last 35 miles of the race, that disappeared when his dogs laid down and decided they wanted to rest longer. So there's no guarantees to anybody. I knew that the dogs were capable of being one of the top teams in the race. I didn't know if I was capable of being one of the top mushers in the race. I did not have any clue about how I would do, but I knew the dogs were capable. Very interesting. And I didn't know that about Ryan. Um, I didn't follow it, you know, each day, so I wasn't sure. But um, but his dogs just got tired; they just wanted to rest. And 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 I, I'm glad you brought that up because for people who might be critics of it, you know, like oh, the dogs are, you know, it's really hard on the dogs or whatever. Um, you know, we can't stress enough, and I know you've done a great job of that too, Jason, of just saying that those dogs are so well cared for and they're not pushed beyond what they can handle. Right. Right, and that's why we have the veterinary team there. The veterinary team really is the insurance policy on behalf of the dogs. They are the voice of the dogs. Good mushers, and I would say that what we had in the Bear Grease this year was a really good core of great experienced mushers, and the significance there is a good musher won't do things that uh, that risk their dogs wanting to uh not do this anymore and you know the you find that when most of the mushers who enter this race finish this race that just says a lot about the mushers and what they've learned over the years uh particularly from the vet the vet team largely composed of veterinarians from the twin cities area and vet techs uh, from all over minnesota and wisconsin that team is wonderful at educating mushers and the more years that a musher does this the more they learn from those vets about good dog care. And a good musher knows that if I take really good care of my engine, my machine, these dogs, I'm going to get there and it's all going to go just fine. They'll be happy. And if they're happy, I'm going to be happy. Yeah, very, very good point. You know, you mentioned, and you've done this every year, just the high-quality um, care that's given by the vets to the dogs. And I'm just curious, just in my mind, it just popped up, you know, do these? I, I know the there's a lot of vets that are repeats. You know, that's not a brand new team of vets every year. Um, so I, I know that there's some that are definitely repeats. But um, do they do they kind of know these dogs throughout the year as well? I mean, are they assigned just to those teams just the day of the race, or do they have checkups throughout the year so the vet has a good idea? of these dogs, you know, and their history and that kind of thing and his relation, his or her relationship with them? Or is it just a team put together for that day or that race? So the the vets actually wind up encountering these dogs at various races. But as far as like having daily or even monthly or even six monthly uh, exposure to the dogs, that's really not happening, and the vets are not assigned to uh, to a dog team to follow them throughout the race. The vets actually, the, uh, the way they coordinate their schedule, uh, one team of vets will be working one checkpoint, and then another team of vets has already gone up ahead to the next checkpoint to be ready for the leaders to get there. Meanwhile, people toward the back of the pack, though, still need may need veterinarians at the prior checkpoint. So they leapfrog each other. You've got half of the vets at one checkpoint and then half of them at the next one coming up. And then as soon as the vets at checkpoint A are done, 
and then the vets at checkpoint B, let's say up at Finland, are are busy. The vets from checkpoint A skip past and go they they leapfrog and go two checkpoints ahead, so that they're ready and waiting for the teams to come up to that next eventual checkpoint. So they're all already you know staged. Uh, they leapfrog each other throughout the race until we get towards the end when the racers are all pretty much going to be at the sec- same checkpoints at the same time. Uh, the vets, they do know the mushers from bumping into them at other races, uh, but the Bear Grease is one of the earlier races in the year. So the Bear Grease oftentimes is one of the first times of the three or four times, three or four races, where they'll encounter, let's say, uh, like the Reddington Dogs. Those dogs raced in the Bear Grease uh, with me and Ryan, two teams. Then they raced... Uh, two weeks later in the Apostle Islands sled dog race uh, over by Bayfield, Wisconsin. Then uh, another week or so later, they raced at the UP 200 in Marquette, Michigan. So those vets, some of them work all of those races, but not all of them. And for those who do, though, the Bear Grease is oftentimes their first encounter with those dogs for the year. But certain dogs are just memorable, right? You you can't help but remember, like, I had a dog named Blowhole that is quite famous. And, Janus, and uh, Jason, I'm just going to ask you to hold on um, Blowhole. Sure. That, that's an interesting name. But we're going into a commercial break, and we'll start right up with your story about Blowhole, if I'm saying it right, um, as soon as we, we get back from the commercial break. Thank you, everybody. Stay with us. Hi, this is Laura, and I want to tell you about my family's favorite thing. It's our wood stove. We bought it about 14 years ago from Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces. And see, the wood stove has actually paid for itself because we can keep the main area that we live in toasty warm with this great moist heat. But more important than saving money, it has actually improved our lives. Having a fire simplifies life. It provides comfort. It sort of takes the chill out of winter. I'm Peter Solak. In 1977, I started Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces. And I experienced the simple joy of warming myself by a fire. I also realized that the place and the way we embrace fire has evolved in a diversity of forms and styles. So at Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces, we have brought together the widest selection of our fireplace products and technical knowledge in the Twin Cities. Our mission is to use our knowledge to help you choose the design and function that is right for you and your home. Visit Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces today and find the right fire for you. Did you realize that Drink in the Style is available on iTunes, Google Play, and pretty much every other podcast platform out there? You can listen to past episodes of Drink in the Style or... Maybe download our really cool martini glass graphic or just listen to your favorite episode again and again. But if you do, I need to ask you for a quick favor. Hop online and give us a five-star rating. It helps others find the show and also boosts my fragile ego. Drink in the style. It's a great way to kill Sundays or really anytime at all. People of the warmth, charm, and great food at Milton's 36 and Douglas in Crystal. Tonight, try their Vittles, Vino, and Beer, a full slab of baby back ribs grilled over mesquite charcoal, juicy jerk chicken with Caribbean beans and rice, grilled plank salmon, and their famous shrimp and grits. Try a Milton's ribeye or the portobello mushroom and end your night with carrot cake, bananas foster, or rum cake. The perfect meal for a date or a casual get-together. That's Vittles, Vino, and Beer at Milton's 36 and Douglas in Crystal. Connections Radio Show is all about tapping into our hardwired hunger to connect. We examine meaningful connections to ourselves, our community, and the world around us by opening the door to innovative insights by a wide variety of interesting guests. We'll make the connections to something bigger than ourselves. Join me, Lori Fitz, your host of Connections Radio Show, and together we'll make the connections. Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Restore your vehicle's lost power by cleaning your entire fuel system with Chevron Tecron Fuel System Cleaner. Right now, buy one bottle, get one free at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Keep your engine clean and improve performance with Chevron Tecron Fuel System Cleaner. Buy one, get one free at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supply. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. (laughs) 
you're just joining us, you're listening to the Pet Connection Show here on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Jason Rice is with us again, calling in from um, northern Minnesota, actually, um, and sharing with us his experience of being a musher um, and the John Bear Grease Sled Dog Marathon this year instead of being on the board. Um, and you were just sharing, starting to share a story about a dog on your on your team called Blowhole. Did I hear that right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. Blowhole. All right. So yeah, sled dogs wind up with all kinds of strange names, and uh, I, I don't know the whole story, but he's one of Ryan Reddington's dogs. Uh, and the famous blowhole. All the vets know who he is. So we were kind of talking about the veterinarian team there too, and um, and how how do they interact? Do they get to know the dogs throughout the racing season from volunteering at all these races? And the answer is they do. They see hundreds of dogs, but certain ones are always memorable for one reason or another. Um, and uh, the funny thing is, I had uh, one vet, uh, actually another Twin Cities native, uh, who. Shane, uh, Dr. Shane, he he remembered my lead dog, uh, one of well, one of my two main leaders, uh, Foxtrot was the name of uh, my my main leader this year, and he remembers Foxtrot from from multiple races, uh, and Foxtrot has been the leader that has won a number of races, so he becomes a little bit more memorable, but um, he remembered Foxtrot a couple of years ago having a sore shoulder and and treating him for that sore shoulder. So they do get to know some of the dogs, but they're, uh, once again, veterinarians are not assigned to a team. They're assigned to a checkpoint. And um, they do get to know, though, uh, who, uh, wh- which dogs have what tendencies. And it's kind of cool when you have a core that keeps coming back of the veterinary team. They remember, oh, there's Blowhole. I can hear him. I can hear him barking. How is he? How is that right rear leg of his doing? Or whatever that they remember about that dog's tendencies. Um, just like you and I might have a tendency, oh, you know, certain days my, my left knee just gives me trouble. Well, dogs are the same way. They, they'll have a certain little thing that's just that one little thing that bugs them sometimes. And the veterinarians will remember that about certain dogs. Very, very interesting. And you don't know the, the backstory of the name, though, Blowhole? Foxtrot? I, these are fun. These are not the names that we hear down here like Charlie, Max, <laughs> Lucy. No. So sled dogs, <laughs> think about it this way. If you've got a kennel of 40, 50, 100 sled dogs, in the case of the Reddingtons, uh, if you go to their kennel in Alaska, uh, I think that there's somewhere around 200 because sled dogs are their business in Alaska. Uh, taking people on uh, on uh, tours in the summertime when if you get off, if you take a Princess Cruise Line and you get off for an excursion at Skagway, Alaska, uh, one of the excursions that you can take uh, when, when you come into port there is actually a dog sledding or a summertime. It's on a cart, a four-wheeled cart with a steering wheel and brakes. And uh, they, they mush uh, anywhere from two to 400 tourists a day with their sled dogs and they just typically go on like a a five mile little run uh through the woods on a nice cleared trail and they get to kind of experience that uh, feeling of being pulled by some iditerod dogs and uh and so it's kind of a cool adventure that is the reddington's business but if you can imagine when you have that many dogs how do you come up with names so when they have litters of puppies they oftentimes have a theme. There will be like the country music theme. There will be Reba and Waylon and Willie and Winona and Toby and Garth. Uh, then you have, oh, we've even had uh, on the grow side, I'll, I'll, I'll watch my, my uh, words here since this is public radio, but uh, there are like bodily function litters where it's burp and sneeze and cough and they they run out of names after having hundreds of dogs, so they just come up with themes and go with the theme. Uh, and so I think Blowhole, I, I'm, I don't know the story, and I never asked Ryan how that name came about. But if it fits, uh, here's the version that I would like to tell, because Blowhole got an appropriate name. The team of Reddington dogs that I was running in the Bear Grease was, by and large, a pretty quiet team. You get them hooked up. And a lot of dog teams will get really animated, and they're barking and jumping and lunging and wanting to go. Uh, My team, most of them were pretty quiet, except Blowhole. 
Okay. <laughs> Blowhole always has something to say about everything. If he sees a squirrel as we're running, usually running sled dogs, it's silent in the woods. That's what I love about it. But if he would see a grouse in the snow or a, a little squirrel in a tree, he'd have to bark at it. He talks to everything. And so Blowhole just kind of seemed to be a fitting name for him. He is a talker. No kidding. Okay, so when he when you were out on on the trail and Blowhole saw a grouse or a squirrel or a rabbit and he started to bark, did that was that just sort of a, a quick passing thing like, oh, he's barking, but he didn't want to change course and chase or anything like that? I mean, I know these dogs are trained very well, but was there a, a slight distraction that you had to maneuver through or think things through, or was it just just blowhole barking? Yeah, blowhole would just typically give out a couple of barks. I have mush teams. So the, to answer your question, the short answer is no, they never veered off course because they saw an animal or something that they wanted to, to go chase. That instinct is in there. Don't get me wrong. All of these dogs, that's part of the part of the magic that makes these dogs want to run and pull together. The, there's, a, there's a lot of belief that really that running together in a pack and that pack mentality of working together is actually one of the motivating factors that's sort of ingrained in these dogs. Some dogs will run just fine being the only dog, just say a child on a, on a small sled and one dog hooked up to it. Some dogs are so motivated to just pull and run that they'll do it. Other dogs really like to be with other dogs when they run and they don't really feel as motivated if they were hooked up by themselves but they feel very motivated when they're with a team and they're working as a pack almost that primal instinct to hunt and work together Um, so this team did not attempt thankfully they did not attempt to pull me off course when they saw a, a deer or or when they saw, um, you know, grouse, there were grouse blasting up out of the snow all over. It was almost like little explosions happened uh, as we were going down the trail. Some of these things you won't see on a snowmobile. Um, I have nothing against snowmobiling, but there's something different. When you catch uh, wildlife off guard and you go by and all of a sudden uh, a grouse is like, oh my gosh, there's, there's animals here, and then they blast up out of the snow. It's like little explosions happening. It's really unique, and you probably wouldn't experience that as much on a snowmobile because they hear you coming from so far away. Right, right. These dogs, they stayed on the trail. There was one moment that was scary. I saw a moose about 300 yards ahead on the trail, and I was really, really uh, proceeding with caution there for two reasons. Well, I, I, I want to know both. Sure. I want to know both of those, but we are going into a commercial break again. But was it a, just? Okay. just tell me, just... I'm, I'm way too curious now. Full-grown moose? Yes. By himself? Him, herself? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. So now. Stay tuned. I know. Now I can see it in my mind. And we are going into commercial break. But we'll be back with Jason and the moose. Stay with us, pet appreciators. Tom Hartman here telling you that solar energy isn't just for environmentalists. Switching to all-energy solar is actually perfect for reducing your carbon footprint while also saving money on your monthly electric bill. The fact that solar panels cause no earth-harming emissions while it's producing energy is a bonus. Who in the world could object to that? But they can also help you save money month after month for decades. And they do it with a clean footprint. So go green and start saving money today by visiting allenergysolar.com. I'm Richard R.J. Escallon. This week on The Zero Hour, how our economic system shapes our families and our relationships. Where do we go with Medicare for All? And we'll have a first-person report on events in Venezuela. All this and more on The Zero Hour, every Sunday night from 9 till midnight on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. 
Located just north of 50th in France, the Great Wall Restaurant has provided a delicious taste of authentic Chinese cuisine since 1981. Specializing in Sichuan and Peking dishes, they offer one of the most extensive menus in the Twin Cities. Favorites include hot and sour soup, pan-fried dumplings, and mushu pork with homemade Chinese pancakes. Stop by their Edina location or call for takeout at 952-927-4439. See the full menu at greatwallrestaurant.us. Hi, Matt McNeil for Rudy Luther Toyota. Let me tell you about the best parts of buying a vehicle with Rudy Luther. First, their staff is wonderful, friendly, and always ready to help. Another is the Luther Advantage card. With every new and used vehicle purchase, you'll get three years of 10 cents off per gallon of gas at holiday station stores, as well as discounted car washes. The Luther Advantage card keeps you happy in your Rudy Luther vehicle. Find out more at Rudy Luther Toyota, 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. I'm Rick Unger. You've heard the screamers. You've heard the shouters, the haters, the beraters. Well, now it's time to listen to a real conversation, a rational conversation. Now it's time for the Rick Unger Show. Listen to the Rick Unger Show every weekday from 5 to 7 p.m. on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Stream at am950radio.com or search KTNF on the TuneIn app. Um, hello? If your taxes from years past are talking to you from the back of that drawer in your desk, it might be about time you answered the call by making a call to Moe's Tax Service in St. Paul. Time to come out now. They've been preparing tax returns and creating advisory-based relationships with their clients since 1971. Kind of stuffy in here. Problems with the IRS don't go away by ignoring them. Call Moe's Tax Service. That's M-O-H-S. They're on Ford Parkway in St. Paul. 612-721-2026. 721 2026. With your AM 950 weather, this is Eric Nelson. Today, a small chance of rain before noon with a high near 37 and a low around 25. Monday, partly sunny with a high near 39 and a low around 27, with Tuesday being slightly rainy with a high near 42 and a low around 39. Don't miss the Home Improvement and Design Expo this Saturday only at the Maple Grove Community Center, featuring up to 150 home improvement companies, giveaways, and more. It's the Home Improvement and Design Expo this Saturday at the Maple Grove Community Center. See it all at ExpoGuys.com. That's ExpoGuys.com. Welcome back, Pet Appreciators. Welcome back to the Pet Connection Show here on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Kathy Menard here, your host. Jason Rice is on the line. We were talking about a really big moose that he encountered along the sled dog, uh, John Bergery sled dog marathon that he was a musher in. I want to know what it is. Big. We know it's big. And we know that it had to have been daylight. So was it morning, afternoon, evening? Was he hungry? What ha- What happened, Jason? He was hungry, and I pulled over and fed him from my hand. <laughs> oh. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Nobody try that, please. That is not a good idea on any level. No, in seriousness, it was almost dark. Uh, the time when you see moose the most up north here is uh, is at dusk and at dawn. That's the most common time. They wander about at night. They typically sleep uh, during the heat of the day, and... Um, this moose, I could see this was up near Grand Portage uh, and in a pretty heavily wooded area. And I could see uh, his silhouette only about 300 yards up ahead. And so that causes concern on two different levels. Number one, is he going to, uh, is he going to make a decision that is going to impact my team? Is he in the mood to turn on us and actually challenge us. Moose look at sled dogs as though they're a pack of wolves. So their instinct, that fight or flight instinct kicks in and they make one of two decisions. Either they decide they're going to flee because they know they have an advantage through deep snow and they will, they will uh, literally, uh, pardon the pun, they will vamoose. They will take off. Uh, But if the, if they don't perceive that they're going to be able to get away, they will turn and face the pack and attempt to stomp them. And the problem with a team of sled dogs is they're all tethered down to that gang line, that, that cable line going out in front of my sled. They're trapped. And so if that moose were to start coming towards us like it was going to challenge us, 
about the best thing that I could do, not carrying any sort of uh, sidearms with me, uh, no weapon whatsoever, about the best thing I could do would be to actually uh, cut loose that cable so the dogs could run and take off. Um, these dogs don't want, they have no instinct to take down a moose, so they're not going to want to naturally attempt to do anything predatory on the moose. They're going to want to escape if the moose is attacking. And um, so that's one direction things could have gone. Fortunately, most of the moose in Minnesota, the few that we have left, are pretty skittish, and they do know that they've got an advantage in deep snow. So as we got closer and closer, the moose made the choice I hoped he would make, and he wandered off into the woods in the deep snow, knowing that we would not follow. Uh, the other problem that happens with moose in the trail, though, has nothing to do with the moose still being there. It has to do with the big potholes that they leave behind in the trail. Um, imagine running a human marathon on a very pothole-ridden road. Uh, would you say your odds of twisting an ankle uh, go up exponentially if you're not on good, uh, smooth pavement? Yeah. More than likely, yes. So running uh, a team of 12 dogs in front of me and four legs on each one, the odds of us stepping into one of those holes, the moose, of course, weigh so much, they weigh a 1,000 pounds or more, they're, where they walk leaves two, three, four, five, six-inch hole in the trail. As we're running, the dogs don't always pay attention to those holes. And if their foot goes down in there and twists, all of a sudden you have an injury on a dog, and that dog is not going to be ready to keep pulling. And you don't want that for your dog or for yourself as a team. So what I did was slow the team way, way, way down so that if they do step in one of those moose holes, we'll call it, um, they would do so very slowly and methodically and not uh, at a fast pace where they might twist an ankle or, or hurt a wrist. In the case of a dog, it would actually be considered a wrist. So their wrist um, would be potentially in peril. I made us go very slow through the area where I saw all of the moose tracks going deep into the snow. And we did not have any injuries, thankfully, as a result. But it can happen. Well, and it's one of those things, Jason, how many years have we been talking about this? I, And that hasn't come up before. I, I'm always amazed at how much I learn. But, I mean, you, you don't necessarily think about that when you're talking, at least I don't, when you're talking about a sled dog marathon. You know, Well, out. let's face it. There's, uh, most are, are not uh, – I guess the, the safest thing to say, Kathy, is something that musher John Stetson taught me long ago when I first learned to mush. There's a hundred different things that can happen every time you hook up a team of sled dogs to go run. And 99 out of those hundred things are very bad. So you're trying like crazy to mitigate and eliminate any risks to you or your team. Uh, moose are just one more of the potential hazards on the trail. Right. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about this from a real personal standpoint because I, I want to try it. You know, I mean, I'll just be honest. I want to try what it's like to be a musher. I just want to try it. Not in a race, but I, I, I just want to try it. And, um, but I don't want to be naive and stupid and, and get myself into danger or any of the dogs in, the da in danger. But I think about that and I, I'm so attracted to it because of, well, I spend so much time with dogs in a pack. I love it. I just love it. It is so natural for me. But I, but when you talk about, um, you know, the pack mentality and they're all moving together and the peacefulness and, and how serene it can be at times, that is like what um, sets my, my uh, passion on fire. Like, you know what I mean? I, like I, I, I want to be there in 30 seconds experiencing it myself. You know what I mean? It's your it's your very own personal Jack London experience. Yeah, and I just but I'm feeling a little naive too. Moose didn't even think about that. And of course, you know, who knows if I ever number 1 actually follow through because I'm crazy busy all the time, but number 2 ever get to a point where I'm racing and kind of by myself out there, you know? But it's something that I I want to try so bad, but I just didn't 
you know, think about the moose <laughs> and, and the other things <laughs> that you're t- talking about. Oh, yeah, they live out there, too, you know. <laughs> But um, yeah, but yeah. What, what can you just touch base a little bit? Uh, uh, cover a little bit. What are your options in these situations where you have to navigate? Um, obviously you've got experience, but are there? And you know that there's a team of veterinarians ahead waiting for you. Um, but I'm thinking, like, especially with these. Ex- I mean, you guys were out there in the extreme cold. I was like checking the news on the on the on my internet, you know. Are they still going to race? Are they still going to race? I mean, what do you? Oh yeah. What um? What uh? What kind of things? I guess if there's something that happens, how do you get help? You know what I mean? Like for me, my cell phone would be out of the picture because the battery would die. You know, it always dies when I'm outside for you know more than five minutes and it's thirty degrees. It's just not a very good battery in my my cell. But what do you guys have? that you can alert somebody, moose is attacking us, (laughs) or, you know, we just ran into a huge moose hole, and now we've got an injury, Um, getting late, I had to slow the the team down, it's getting late, it's getting dark, how do I navigate in the darkness to my next stopping point? Those kind of things. Well, several things, several things here. I, I see where you're going with this, and number one, I'll just encourage you, Kathy, I don't even own a golden retriever. I have zero dogs of my own. So if I can do this and make it a reality and accomplish that mission, so can you. Um, we can talk about that offline. But as far as what goes on on the trail, you will discover uh, with it, the further you go, the more you discover it, that you just need to figure it out. There's, there is, we're fortunate in the Bear Grease, there's all kinds of safety nets for us. So the GPS tracker on your sled, it actually has an SOS button. You can press that and immediately it sends a signal to headquarters. They will dispatch someone on snowmobile out to your location immediately. And that person will have a, a ham radio on them so they can uh, get in touch with, with more people at the next checkpoint. Uh, we are not allowed to carry and I think this is true with pretty much every sled dog race, you're not allowed to carry communication devices. That's just one of the rules. So the reason I don't have all kinds of wonderful selfies, uh, I was not allowed to have a phone uh, out on the on the trail. And frankly, it wouldn't do me any good because most of the bear grease is run in parts of northern Minnesota that have no cell signal. The Superior National Forest, uh, the Gunflint Trail, getting up in the woods uh, north of Grand Portage, you don't have any cell signal. So there really isn't an option to have like instantaneous help. That's why you need to be very, very self-reliant on making your best judgment call uh, to the situation. People wind up sometimes getting injured. They fall off a sled. They get injured themselves. Um, sometimes a musher, when they fall off a sled going around a corner or something, they have, it has happened where they've lost the team temporarily. You need to figure it out. Um, there will be help coming, but it won't be instantaneous. There is no 911, so to speak, other than just that SOS button on your GPS. But prior to just about five years ago, there weren't even GPS trackers on the sleds. So it's up to a musher to be the brains of the operation, stay calm if something goes wrong, equipment breaks, uh, you've got an injury to yourself or, or God forbid, to a dog. Um, little things happen. The important thing is know how to comfortably deal with the little things and at all costs avoid the big things. So a dog with a sore wrist, that's not what you want, but at the same time it's not an emergency. You can stop the team, put the dog in your sled, and carry it to the next checkpoint. If for some reason your team quits and decides, you know what, we are laying down here, and we'll get up and run when we feel like it, which is what happened to Ryan Reddington. Uh, that, that sort of an incident, although it's not planned and it's not what you meant to do, it's not really dangerous. Uh, even though it's cold out, uh, you know, you're prepared. You don't go do something like this without having the proper gear, and that's why they require you to carry a fire starter and an axe and snowshoes, things that you could do to set up a camp if you had to, start a fire, 
the dogs deal with the cold way better than people. So the dogs really are in no danger if they decide to lay down. The dogs actually ran very well this year because it was so cold. The dogs do better in 10 to 20 below than they do at zero or above zero. They really do much better. And I so want I want to know why that is, but does it have something to do with the the snow and that it's just more packed and stays more packed so they can just make better time or they it's just smoother they don't have to work so hard is that why it's better in those cold colder temperatures I, I think it's because of their it's the, their physiology uh, they they actually have been bred for centuries to be able to handle cold um, and just physiologically their bodies tend to run hot. And they do better when it's really cold out. So would you prefer to run a marathon at 60, 65 degrees outside, or would you like to run a marathon at 80 or 85? Well, it depends on kind of the, the area that you're used to living. If you live in Florida, then running a marathon in Florida is probably no big deal. But if you live in Minnesota and you're acclimated to this type of climate and you go to run a marathon in 85-degree heat with 70% humidity, you're going to struggle. And so these dogs are just used to uh, burning hot and and burning hot in cold weather. All right. And we're going right into another commercial break. But very good point. Stay with us, pet appreciators. It's March. There's basketball. But the real madness is putting up with dirty, nasty carpeting. Time to call in your cleaning heroes at Zero Res. Get three rooms of carpeting clean for just $129. Call 9520RES. That's 9520RES. Or go to ZeroResMinnesota.com. That's ZeroResMinnesota.com. Don't forget to ask for the AM950 special. Zero Res. Spell it backward or forward. It spells the same. Zero Res. I'm Steve Conklin. And I'm Jake DeRoff. We're the hosts of the Mortgage Talk Show, Sundays at 1230. Every week we bring you insights on home financing, discussing rates, programs, local and national news. Whether you're buying your first home or your hundredth home, we have tips and inside information to save you money and feel like a mortgage master. Check us out for more information and email us any questions at mortgagetalkshow.com. Tune in to the Mortgage Talk Show every Sunday at 1230 on AM 950. The Downtowner Woodfire Grill in St. Paul is the perfect choice for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Offering daily fresh seafood specials, fire-roasted meats, exquisite pizza, and half-price bottles of wine on Mondays and Tuesdays, except on Excel Energy event nights. Once you experience their cozy fireside dining, extensive wine list and bar, you'll be back for more. Gift certificates and private dining room for parties available. Located at 253 West 7th Street with plenty of free parking or online at downtownerwoodfire.com. Atheists Talk is the radio show for free-thinking Minnesotans. Listen on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock. Every Sunday we bring you science, philosophy, politics, and plain old fun from an atheist point of view. Visit our website at minnesotaatheists.org for more details. Tune in to Atheists Talk Radio Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock on KTNF AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's good radio without the good book. Most of us try to be careful about how we eat and the safety of our food. At Total Dog Company, we believe in giving our dogs nutritious, safe food, too. We offer a variety of kibble, canned, and frozen and dehydrated raw foods. We study ingredient lists of every food we sell, and we don't sell products that are primarily vegetable protein or that contain generic proteins, byproducts, fillers, or artificial preservatives. Find us in New Hope off of 169 at 9432 36th Avenue North and at TotalDogCompany.com. The local advertisers you hear on AM950 are the lifeblood of the station. If you find yourself regularly tuning in, or if you appreciate the diversity of content we deliver, please take the time to support our advertisers. Even if it's just to thank them for backing AM950, your voice and support can go a long way. Help keep the station going strong while investing in our local community. Find the complete list of on-air supporters by visiting the advertisers page at am950radio.com. That's am950radio.com. Thanks again, Pet Appreciators, for sticking with us here during the Pet Connection show. Uh, You know, Jason, I kind of want to know – Jason Rice is with us, Pet Appreciators. I always forget um, that sometimes people are just joining us mid-show. But anyways, Jason Rice is joining us and I'm Kathy Menard, your host. 
But Jason, I want to get right back to like being on the sled. Dusk is approaching. You're nearing your checkpoint. So like how like how many checkpoints a day? And then like at night, like how I mean you gotta be exhausted, I would think. You know, by the time you know yeah. it's night and how how much work and, and, and how long does it generally take to kind of like I, I want I want to say bed down. That's probably not even a term, but just getting like ready, the dogs ready to you know to sleep on their haystacks yep. or whatever. How oh, yeah. long does yeah. that take? So the uh, we'll kind of go in order through your questions there. Uh, the bear grease having pretty much in between oh in between thirty eight and fifty four miles. Every run is going to be somewhere between thirty eight and roughly fifty four miles long. Uh, that. That equates to anywhere from a four to four to five, five and a half hour run each time. And the philosophy is roughly equal rest to run. So uh, if you look at the Iditarod, completely different strategy. That's a, a whole different world. But with the Bear Grease, the beauty is it's kind of like a NASCAR race, right? We run from Duluth to two harbors. We stop in two harbors. Our our handling crew is there. They've got food ready for the dogs. They've got straw already laid out uh, for the dogs to bed down. And the routine is you come in, you uh, get the dogs uh, unclipped from, from the tug line so they know they're not having to work anymore, and you leave them attached to the gang line, uh, and their harnesses stay on. And then the the dogs, uh, the first thing you do is bring them some, uh, everybody's got a different strategy. Ours was bring them each uh, a bowl of, of clear water with no bait or no, like, no meat at all in it to get them to drink. We want them to drink some good, clean, pure water. Uh, they don't all do it, and we're watching to see who is and is not because we, we want them to stay hydrated. Uh, then after a few minutes when their heart rate has calmed down, then they will naturally uh, curl up on the straw themselves. Experienced sled dogs know, hey, they're straw. I'm going to grab a spot here, and I'm going to catch a nap. So that's another good thing about experienced dogs like I had is that they know they see straw, they lay down. And um, the younger dogs, it takes them a, a couple of years usually to learn that routine. But they lay down, and typically we rest there for about three and a half or four hours, and then we get up and uh, – uh, give them some water again and a snack, and then we get back out on the trail. And typically speaking, if you're if you run for five hours, you're going to rest for four or five. That's a fairly typical musher strategy, and you travel at around ten miles an hour. Um, the uh, if you looked at my average times, I was typically averaging for the first day and a half anyway. I was averaging about ten and a half miles an hour. As the dogs get a little bit more tired later in the race. That slows down a mile an hour or so. So I think I finished uh, somewhere around nine miles an hour. Uh, but these uh, that, that's just how it goes over the course of the race. Um, the Bear Grease is a faster race because it is only 300 miles. If you look at the Iditarod, 1,000 miles, that one, the teams were averaging, oh, six or seven miles an hour. Uh, that was common because they oftentimes are resting out on the trail. Uh, they're out in the Yukon, and it may be 100 miles in between checkpoints. So they'll run for five or six hours, and then they'll, uh, they carry a bale of straw with them in the Iditarod and bed the dogs down and give them a snack and let them do their routine, but they just do it away from a checkpoint. They still need to rest them, whether there's a checkpoint or not. When your dogs need to rest, they need to rest. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, I was wondering what the difference was when you said that there, that it was different with the Iditarod, but obviously the terrain, just the, the physical environment is different and, and, and when you can uh, get to checkpoint to checkpoint. So, but what about you? What about the mushers? Like, just can't lay down on a bed of straw, Jason. So, like, what, are there tents there set up for you guys? Uh, campfires? No. Or do you do you order in your food? No, I, I'm not suggesting like pizza or something. But do you like <laughs> have everything like planned out and prepackaged? And the at these are waiting at the checkpoints, or do you just carry food with you? Well, I had uh, it's both actually. Uh, so I carry snacks. Like uh, I I really like. Uh, like beef sticks and cheese, and so I'd have a, a, a Ziploc full of beef sticks and cheese in my pocket, and I'd have, uh, oh, usually some sort of a granola bar. But keep in mind, 
it's not like uh, with the bear grease, the difference is I'm not having to survive for days on end out on my own in the wilderness. In four or five hours, I'll be at the next town. And, and my handlers will be there with a warm vehicle for me to hop inside, grab a bite to eat. Several of the checkpoints have restaurants at them, like at Trail Center, middle of the Gunflint Trail. Uh, Sarah's Trail Center Lodge has got wonderful food. I went inside and had a big old burger. And uh, my, my handler, chief handler and wife-to-be, Shirley, was, uh, was there. And she, she, was, she was instrumental in seeing that I didn't talk too much to people and socialize, that I just ate then got out into the into the vehicle and laid down and went to sleep. And um, I would typically I was getting about an hour and a half of sleep at each checkpoint. So yeah, you're you are tired, but for two days you can survive that an hour and a half of sleep. Uh, you know, and I had five handlers working with dogs, and then Shirley kind of also taking on the responsibility of of making sure I was okay. That made it way easier in the Iditarod they don't have any handlers they don't have any outside assistance and they have to do it all themselves I really like this style of bear grease racing where your handlers are waiting for you at the checkpoint they've got food ready for the dogs they've got a warm vehicle for you to hop in kick the seat back and lay down and go to sleep for an hour or two it's uh it's a very spoiled way of racing to be honest well, yeah, I, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> I thought that you were going to have a bonfire in a tent. I didn't know you were going to get a cheeseburger. <laughs> oh, I, cheeseburger, pasta. I had all kinds of wonderful things. I was not roughing it that bad. And when I'm out on the trail, everybody is wondering, you know, well, what's it like when you're mushing and it's 25 below out? At when, when I came across the finish line on Tuesday evening in Grand Portage uh, at the Grand Portage Lodge and Casino, it was about 25, 26 below, and they had wind gusts up to 30 miles an hour. You're talking about a 50 below wind chill that yeah. night. And yet I never got cold really the entire race. Uh, I was dressed for it. I had my, my Steger mucklucks. Uh, I had hand warmers in case I needed them. And then mushers who are trying to do their best that they can do physically to help the dogs, they run up those hills. So I was running up the hills alongside the sled with my dogs to make it easier on them, and that generates a lot of body heat. And I've learned that by running one hill for about two minutes, sprinting uphill, I am usually, my body temp is such that it's up and elevated, and I'm going to start to sweat. So I would actually, even at 25 below, I took my hat off, I took my hood back, uh, I even took off gloves sometimes because I was too hot. I don't want to sweat when I'm running out there because that's how you get cold. So I would intentionally start venting off heat from my head and my neck and my hands, and I'd get back on that sled after the hill hill climb is done, and I would be hot for about 20 minutes. Well, I am so glad. Then- I'm glad. And you know what? We got tw- 12 seconds to the end of the show. I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much. It won't be the last time we ask you on. I'm just glad you're safe and sound. Congratulations again. And we'll keep this conversation going. Pet appreciators, thank you so much. And we wish you a great start to the week.